Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 308 for March 12th, 2009. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got some great stuff for you this week. We've got the new uh, song play, Beowulf, here. You're going to hear an interview with the creators as well as a couple songs from the production. We've also got Scott Allen here, the composer behind uh, Dreaming Wide Awake and the new CD, Keys, here to talk about a success of the first CD and the new one as well. And we'll hear two cuts from that new CD as well. Ken Davenport's with us for the producer's perspective. And we're also going to hear a track from Sutton Foster's brand new CD, Wish. Also, for those of you who are supporting our live events, thanks very much much. Uh, looks like weekly wasn't going to work out very well, so we are not doing an open mic this weekend. We're going to be looking at doing some events on a monthly basis. Uh, we will let you know as soon as we announce the first event and get that going. Also, if you're looking for more information on anything we talk about on this program, you can visit the show notes at broadwaybullet.com. In this case, it'll be for volume 308. And uh, find links to more information about what's going on. And if you uh, purchase songs through the iTunes store and have an iTunes iTunes account. We are again calling for, we could really use some reviews, some good five-star reviews to help bolster our positioning. It helps more people find the show, and it's one of the simplest things you can do to help us out and help spread the word on Broadway Bullet and all of the great shows that we cover. It only takes about a minute, and it really does help. iTunes really depends a lot of their rankings and where things show up in the featured slots based on not only how many reviews and how many five-star reviews, but how many have come in recently. So we definitely need a few more reviews coming in. If you you haven't done it yet. But we got a lot in the show, so let's get rolling. On the boards. Beowulf, A Thousand Years of Baggage, recently had the distinction of winning Best Play over in San Francisco for 2008, and it is now taking another epic journey of its own to New York City, where it starts a run on March 31st. And we have got uh, writer-performer, artistic director Jason Craig, and we've got performer-artistic director Jessica Jellif. That's the one. (laughs) Here, uh, who were involved uh, in the creation of this unique uh, musical slash song play uh, and <laughs> and also act in the production as well. Mm-hmm. So how are the two of you doing? Very well. Thank Fine. you for having us over up, up in the Midtown. <laughs> <laughs> so Beowulf, A Thousand Years of Baggage. Uh, let's kind of start with the basics. What is this show? Uh, there's a lot of songs here, and we're going to play a couple of them, but uh, you, you don't refer to it in the press as a musical. You call it a song play. So. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. it started off as an experiment to write an opera, and we clearly didn't have the chops to do that. Not necessarily the chops, but we uh, we were we we kept on making uh, 
product that was relatively irrelevant, uh, sorry, irreverent and whimsical and just didn't really have the weight of an opera, which is fine. We, we embraced those limitations. And uh, we didn't really like the term musical because it has so many different connotations to uh, 20th century theater in America. Um, so we came up with the, the, the European take on what uh, a play or a show could be that fuses text with music all the way through and songspiel, the German songspiel was... Singspiel. Singspiel, which is what we sort of came up with, which might be the closest thing to what what, what the show is. And the, so we... The we, Germans have been doing it for a couple hundred years, so they have a good name for it. The translation being song play. You could have called it High School Musical BC. That might have been <laughs> yeah. <a good> <laughs> Probably would have been a little simpler. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we came up with song song play, which is kind of confusing to a lot of people, but it's just the title. It's just that the uh, the title of style of performance that we are comfortable with on, you know, who have created it. So, so, so what is this style? On. What is Beowulf? A thousand years of baggage. Well, it mixes straight theater, you know, as in, you know, heavy text. Heavy. Well, you know, a certain amount of it is weighty, which you don't necessarily find in traditional musicals. Mm -hmm. So it mixes that drama know, drama uh, with, you know, a lot of different styles of music. So it and it doesn't really have the traditional take on a musical where you're suddenly talking and then suddenly breaking into song like a lot of musicals do. But I guess I shouldn't really say what the show isn't. I should say what the show is. <laughs> <laughs> the show is Let's start a, whittling out what yeah, it is. Yeah. It could go on forever what it it's is not. It's not a can-can. Yeah. We have a lump of clay and we need to cut away yeah, at yeah. it in the middle as a song plays. It's not I guess a teen it's, horror movie. Right, it's not, it's not that. It's not, a, it's not a beach drama. What it is is a... Um, really interesting, unique telling of the story Beowulf through the mouth and words of this guy, Jason Craig, and uh, using the fantastic musical talents of Dave Malloy, our composer. Um, uh, I understand he's won a couple little awards. He has. Yeah, he just got the, uh, the Larson grant. That's why he uh, can't be here today, unfortunately. Yeah, he's but. shaking other people's hands, which mm -hmm, is great. Mm -hmm. um, Very prestigious. Yep. Yeah. And so it's, it's our take on the classic, the oldest poem in the English language. Um, uh, a retelling of it. It's embracing. I thought the oldest poem in the English language was there once was a lady from Nantucket. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's dirty. <laughs> yeah, but that, that that adaptation could go on for years, though. <laughs> well, a thousand years potentially. Um, so yeah, and, and hence the title, "A Thousand Years of Baggage," because the poem has been around for so long. It's been analyzed and criticized, and and it's only been analyzed and criticized to be clear for the last couple hundred years, but it has been around that long and retold and Right. It existed with. as a, uh, an oral, oral story around the campfire for quite a few years before it was actually written down. Then once it was written down, it kind of got locked into what we know it today, but it has been in the classrooms and studied for quite a few years mm -hmm. now, and it's been torn apart uh, and, and translated translated countless number of times and each translation adapts it again sort of retells it through the the, the translator's uh, 
eyes mentality. Um, and each one of those is like really distinctly different. Like the end of the story is completely different from Beowulf's Ovid, right? Is that is that right? No. No, it's no. An, it's one of those anonymous. It, it, it is anonymous. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I suppose was, there's mm-hmm. some like dead poet up you know, up in the sky somewhere looking down going, No! No, this isn't what I said yeah. at all. Totally. Well, it totally. was actually it was actually told around like the campfires in the meat hall, and so whoever was telling it was telling it through their own eyes, and they would they would add in their own stuff. So the the whole story ended up like just sort of being this conglomerate of a whole bunch of different people's own stories, um, and what eventually got written down is this weird. Somebody's gonna shake their fists at me when they hear this, but this weird sort of rambling side story conglomerate when the, I mean, there's there's a, there's a really clear essential story in there, which is, you know, Beowulf. I never found it when I read it before. <laughs> right. So well, what, tell that's us, what, what, what is there's there's a, lot we hope to do. a lot of tangents, and that's why a lot of people <laughs> yeah. don't get through the first, you know, 30 or 40 pages. We try to cut away the tangents and tell you the basics. Well, we, 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 tip our hats. we tip our hats towards the tangents, too. A few tips. Yeah, a few tips along the way. <laughs> but uh, what, the, what the basic story of Beowulf is that uh, there's this monster demon in 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 uh, Denmark and he's killing all these people and so they uh, he's, his name is Grendel and so they, the people in this town send for the biggest hero in the, in the area who's Beowulf and he comes across in the ocean and he he gets in a battle with Beowulf in the Mead Hall and he rips or, Grendel's arm off okay. and Grendel goes away and dies in his mother's arms back in the underwater lair <laughs> and then Grendel's mother ha- seeks vengeance and she uh, has a battle with Beowulf and Beowulf kills that demon and then he retires and goes home to Geatland which is Sweden uh, becomes king la- uh, for about 50 years he gets kind of bored and then uh, a, a dragon uh, this is where all the tangents happen in that 50 years and then the dragon attacks his town and then he as an old man uh, slays the dragon and the dragon kills him and they both die that's the basic story but there's so many different tangents along the way and a lot of fun stuff in there but each one of those could be its own <laughs> singspiel <laughs> so it's, a, it's a, you know it's an epic masculine hero codes you know all, all this stuff that didn't really interest me when I first read it, but uh, you know that—that's—I I guess that's why we're pretty irreverent and whimsical with the with the uh, material. Is that you know it's not really it wasn't an, initially up my alley, so I was able to have fun with the adaptation that we came up with. Uh, so why don't we take a listen to one of the songs that sure. uh, recorded from this? That'd you want to set this one up at all? Or? Yeah, this is actually when. What, what what song are we? <laughs> Grendel's death. So um, Beowulf and uh, Grendel have just had this epic battle, and Grendel has uh, been, you know, mortally wounded but not dead yet. Um, climbed back to his the lair that he lives in with his mother, and uh, he dies in her arms. And this is her. This is her lament. All right, let's take a listen. Mama, he ripped off my arm And Mama, he screwed me good And Mama, he battered me 
bad, so bad. And mama, I've been misunderstood.
All right, so epic story, epic tale. <laughs> Two of you are acting in this as well. How large is this epic cast? It's quite small. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a cast of uh, Seven. five. Six. <laughs> so, so epic we can't even remember how many. Yeah. Of them. Well, it, it, our composer also performs. He acts on stage and is also a musician, so it depends on how you count him. But essentially, so it's safe it's to say a, seven a, and seven. A cast with more than five people. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Seven, essentially, seven performers and, and seven musicians. On stage, yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. everybody on stage together, so. Yep. It's, uh, we've it's, expanded the orchestra for the New York run, so we, we've added uh, one more trombone, and we've added a, a viola slash violin player. So the, the sound is so sweet now. No, cut that. He's only a viola player. Oh, <laughs> so it's not so sweet. Yeah, yeah I well, guess it's not as angelic <laughs> as we thought. It's kind of sweet. <laughs> no, it's really sweet. <laughs> so what was the impetus from taking this from San Francisco here to New York? We are based here. We moved from San Francisco to New York in 2000 and have been uh, producing our own theater, Banana Bag and Bodice, in uh, New York since 2005. Um, and so we have, we've, we've done theater here before and wanted so to do it first, again. So I guess then the appropriate question is, <laughs> how did this end up in San Francisco? Oh. <laughs> well, we were commissioned by a theater company out in, Cal in Berkeley, California called Shotgun Players. They have their own theater space, and they commissioned uh, originally myself as writer and Dave as composer to create a, an original musical-based theater piece, and we proposed Beowulf to them as an adaptation, and uh, as we went along, the company Banana Bag and Bodice got more involved, and so it became sort of a Banana Bag and Bodice song play, and so we went out there and produced it. Mm -hmm. With Had them. a fantastic six-week run, sold out houses, accolades. So we figured yeah, it I see was sporting like, all the bling. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. buttons. Replace my knees with gold. Yes. <laughs> so we got a lot of money now. <laughs> so yeah, we figured why not uh, remount it out in New York and show the uh, the show to uh, our community out here because mm -hmm. we you know we have our own audience based hopefully out mm -hmm, here so mm -hmm. we'll find out yeah what they think our, out here this will be our fourth production in in new york city it's banana bag and bodice so we hope to wow some people <laughs> so has this been recast from uh san francisco or is some of the cast members from there coming back here or i guess how did that they all... they all are they're all berkeley based apart from the two of us they're all berkeley based our california based uh performers there's one change in the roster uh, Cameron Galloway was the original academic three slash dragon, and unfortunately her schedule couldn't allow her to come out. So we have Beth Wilmer taking her place, and the she's fabulous. Beth Wilmer. She's doing a bang up job as well, and uh, so she that's the only. She expected to come out from California for a role that has a number after it. <laughs> academic number three. Yeah, number three. <laughs> well, the three main. I, I should I should yeah. go back to the three main characters are actually academics. They don't have character names there, academic one through three. And uh, they, so those three academics are, the show starts off with them delivering a lecture or uh, some sort of thesis on their take on Beowulf. On the Beowulf baggage. And so throughout the show they get more invested in the story and become certain <gasps> demons what? and dragons and monsters and all that. So they are the, they're the, they're the, 
the demons that Beowulf so is the, fighting. So if you look in the program, you say, academic one, two, three, you go, oh, these are small people. No, yeah. they're not. Well, we actually don't. This is, this is the most... Uh, <laughs> explicit we've been with like who if you read the program it just has a list of ensemble people because we don't want to give it away but now I just have to <laughs> the millions of New Yorkers everybody's everybody's yeah. spoiled now I yeah, know. I know. so I know. stay at home <laughs> you, you know the story already don't bother you know when Titanic came out you remember the movie sure. remember that eternal preview do you remember mm. the trailer before the movie ever came out? Kind uh-uh. of. You really felt it was like, wow, why does anybody need to go see this movie now? It went from right. how they got on the ship to who, you know, well, it didn't show that Leo died. But <laughs> other than that, it showed the, basically the beginning right. and the end. And it really but everybody, hurt everybody that show. Know. <laughs> yes. the trailers are usually much better than the actual movie. Well, but that's the, it's kind of similar in a, in a weird sort of way. Follow me here. Uh, everybody knows the story of Titanic, everybody knows what happened. And when this story was originally told, Beowulf was originally told, everybody knew that story. And it was up to the storyteller to make it a little bit more interesting with their own side stories. So that's where all the side story stuff came in. But essentially, everybody knows, well, not maybe in this well, everybody, knows everybody knows that Beowulf's going to fight Grendel. Yes. Past that, they probably didn't read the they next part. They didn't so. finish the end of the No, it was like poem, the Neanderthal <laughs> equivalent of, you know, some producer going, no, no, these kids won't like it unless you throw in some blood here. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. no, no, we need a love story. Yeah. They won't pay any attention. Yeah. Well, hence Angelina Jolie in the, <laughs> right. in the, in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, which we don't have any love interest in our production. Excalibur Swords is willing to sponsor our performance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to get some Danish beer to sponsor us. Yeah, (laughs) we haven't succeeded yet. Well, we got another song here from your... Mm. um, I understand you're actually going to be putting this uh, out for a commercial sale, the CD? We will. It will be for sale, I believe, on the website, um, but most particularly at the show. So you must come to the show to purchase a CD. Pictures and uh, liner notes. Well, that's just because Virgin's closing. Yeah, well. Is there any place you can buy a CD anymore? Well, you can't play them anymore because Circuit City is closing. So... (laughs) (laughs) There's no technology left. You can't buy your equipment. Uh, so, so what's this next this song? song? This song is after the uh, battle between Beowulf and Grendel's mother, the mother of Grendel, and uh, she has subsequently died. And this is the song that follows. Yeah, it's sort of the song that sort of wraps up the show before the show continues along even more. Okay. It's kind of like a... Yeah. You're just giving away all the I guess I'm today. giving away too much here. <laughs> but, uh, it's kind of like the Dark Knight where Joker's dead and we think, okay, now it's about over. Uh, no, it's not. No. Right. It's sort of like our irreverence to uh, the death in the show. It's a great sing-along. So learn the words before you come to the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a listen. That was death that was that death and then they died those monsters died they died That was death. That was 
right, so Beowulf, A Thousand Years of Baggage, opens March 31st, and it runs through April 18th? Mm-hmm. Correct. And March 31st is actually a pay-what-you-can preview. Hmm. Fantastic. That's uh, not going to be a lot in this economy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> we'll take those um, $1 bills. What about lint and about a couple 10. of like buttons from sure. someone's pocket? Sure. I think we have to lay down the line and ask for at least American currency. <laughs> I'm not going to the exchange We can booth. take euros, too. Uh, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so where, oh, where's the show playing? It's at the Abrams Art Center, which is in Manhattan's Lower East Side. It's mm-hmm. on Grand Grand Street at Pitt, uh-huh. and it's just right below the entrance to the Williamsburg Bridge mm-hmm. as a landmark reference. Mm-hmm. Just south of Delancey, just east of yeah. Essex Street, as part of the Henry Street Settlement. It's a beautiful 350-odd seat old vaudevillian opera house. It's beautiful. beautiful. Not, I don't know if a lot of people know this Do space, you actually get so. to take advantage of all 350-odd seats, or is this showcase equity? No, no, yeah. no. It's nothing like that. We can we can fill them all up. We They're can, not going to make you put tape on no, 250 no. seats? We can open up the balcony. <laughs> we can open up the balcony and uh-huh. allow everybody to sit down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lovely, lovely place comfortable seat mm-hmm. and um, so and the website is beowulfnyc.com for yeah. more information yes, we indeed. have trailers on there we have clips from the live production we have audio clips we have yes. uh, artist bios and all sorts of other things <laughs> <laughs> alright well Jason Craig and Jessica Jellif yes uh, thank you so much for coming down and, and talking about the uh, the song play, musical, cabaret, play. That's you know. it. Keep going. <laughs> all those things. It's all those We've things. We've determined it's not a teen thrasher. Yes. Yeah. Teen slasher movie. Yes. It's beach but, uh, drama. But almost as entertaining. No, it definitely is entertaining. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, and Thank best you. of luck in your run. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. The Call Board. Tony Award winner Norbert Leo Butts and Aaron Zweit announced at the MCC Miscast 2009 benefit that they indeed will be playing the leading roles in the upcoming Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman musical Catch Me If You Can. Zweit will portray young con artist Frank Abagnale Jr., while Butts will play FBI agent Carl Hanratty, his tireless pursuer. The musical was scheduled to premiere on the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle July 23rd through August 14th, with Jack O'Brien serving as a director and Jerry Mitchell choreographing, the same duties both filled for Hairspray. It was recently announced that Carrie Butler has also been cast in the upcoming musical adaptation of Catch Me If You Can by Shaman and Whitman, the team behind Hairspray. Also, Felicia Rashad has been announced to step into the role of Violet Weston in the Broadway production of August Osage County. Rashad will follow Deanna Dunnigan and Estelle Parsons in the part and will join the show on May 26th. And last up in casting news, Grey's Anatomy star Chandra Wilson will return to Broadway this summer in the Tony-winning Candor and Ebb musical Chicago. Wilson will step into the role of matron Mama Morton June 8th for a four-week engagement. The acclaimed actress will end her limited run July 5th. And bravo to Chicago for uh, getting a star with a little bit of theater cred in there. <laughs> All right, The Call Board is sponsored by, well, me, my studio. I have Copperhead Productions. If you or somebody you know is looking to record, we've got a great affordable facility here in Times Square. I uh, can do great affordable piano vocal demos for actors or demos for theater composers who are looking to get their work submitted. 
I also do like pop, R&B, singer-songwriter stuff, a little bit of everything. You can uh, find out more at my website at michaelgilbo.com. You can also call me if you're interested in recording or you know somebody at 646-345-3433. Close. In December of 2007, Scott Allen came into the studio to talk about his then new CD, Dreaming Wide Awake, with a couple performers. And since then, the CD has done very well, well enough for him to record a follow-up. And indeed, unlike uh, many independent musicians, especially theater composers, but musicians of any stripe, the CDs have done well enough that he's been able to uh, quit his job and pursue his composing full-time off his CDs. So we've got Scott Allen here in the studio to talk a little bit about what's been going on within the past year and his brand new CD, uh, which just came out in December. I came out in uh, November. November. Yeah. Keys. Uh, so how are things going? Uh, they're going uh, fantastic. A little tired, as we've already discussed prior to uh, starting this interview, but... You're starting I mean, to get gravelly voice like William Finn. It's very sexy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, any comparison to William Finn is a good one, so I'll take it. So, uh, to kind of recap, you're... The new CD is very is similar in scope to your first one. You you know had you know a bunch of different songs, uh, got a lot of different great people to perform on them. A lot of cut songs from the musical piece that I've been working on. That's <laughs> basically how they all all come together. <laughs> and what has this meant for you as a composer? Because you 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 went we were talking a little bit before the interview about just some of the, you know, I mean you weren't like a super big name in the composing community before you put this yeah. on, and this CD has sold just oodles and done really well for you, and now you got, you know, a, a lot of great things happening for you. I'm just well, the first CD um, I put out because, I mean, if we're being honest and blunt, no one was hiring me to write a show, and uh, no one was interested in hearing my work, and. Uh, um, I kept putting myself out there. I, could, I, I couldn't even win or even come uh, into being a finalist in any of those, like, Jonathan Larson Awards or anything. I mean, I put myself out there and whatever. Uh, but um, And I, I guess a part of me recorded the first CD because I was looking for some sort of respect for my industry, not, not needing that I needed the respect or anything um, right away because, obviously, I, you know, I didn't uh, deserve it yet, but I guess uh, I, I was, you know, paying my dues for five years, trying to get myself out there and be heard. And um, though the fan base was really fantastic, no one in the industry was taking anything that the fan base was um, acknowledging into, you know, you know, listening to to what they were trying to say. And um, I decided that I put out the first CD as a way for me to sort of just get my foot, you know, in the water a little bit with them. Um, and then I learned with the second CD that I wasn't about the respect. That's not, you know, I, I, in my own way, I had become successful from whatever I had done. Um, you know, I always say that success is defined about upon the one person that is touched by the work that you do. And so, you know, I, I didn't really need the success of what the first CD uh, handed over. I had already reached that type of success by, you know, my mother who loved my music or, you know, my grandma or, you know, the one fan who said that it touched them. So, um, yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I probably sound like a retard. Not, I, well, that sounds even worse. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, no I, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting that you're willing to admit that you're having a hard time getting the awards. And I think, I think there's a lot of times a lot of politicking that goes into the things, you know. Or people you know, just, listen, I, you have to come to a place as a composer, as an artist, in, in any uh, level of the industry that you're working in. Um, 
some people just do not like your work, and that's okay. That's okay. I mean, some there are people that just do not think I'm a good writer, and you know what? I'm okay with that now. Before Dreaming Wide Away came out, I was not okay with it. I wanted everyone to love me, and I think that's you know, the thing about performing arts is that we're all very insecure people. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why actors put on masks. You know, that's why composers are are bleeding their hearts into their lyrics and their music. Um, we're all looking for so, some sort of acceptance. And um, after Dreaming Wide Awake came out, I, I I learned that it's not important what other people think. It's wonderful to have people email you and tell you that your work uh, is appreciated because that means that you're touching a level beyond what, you know, what it means to you. But as far as you being out there and looking for some other people's acceptance, uh, it's, that's not why we do the things that we do. Um, and I often say this to a lot of performers who will say to me, oh, you know, I'm... Um, I put out a CD and and it's not doing as well as I thought it would do. And I, I, I'll look at them and I'll say, but was it successful? And they'll say, no, it's not doing as well as I thought it was going to do. And I said, but is it a successful CD? Are you happy with it? Do you listen to the CD and, and, and sit back and uh, are you proud of what you put out there for people to hear? And if you are, then it was successful. The, the, the money that comes in has nothing to do with it. It's the, the amount of people that are touched by what you, you know, place and with uh, how proud you are with the work that you've uh, accomplished. So, you know. Now, you've got a lot of great people on your second CD as well. Um, before we play one of the first songs uh, from the CD that we're going to play, do you want to tell us kind of a rundown of who you've got on keys? Yeah, we have B. Arthur, Rue McClanahan. No, I'm just joking. We have, um, <laughs> we have a lot of wonderful people. Oh, I'm very lucky. Um, well, we have one of my favorites in the entire world that I'm sort of obsessed with, Randy Graff, who's going to be doing, we're doing a reading of my show piece. Uh, next week, and she's going to be playing the mother character, and I'm over. I'm so thrilled. Um, we have Randy Graff. Who literally, I, uh, very quick story about Randy Graff. So I, my cousin Ricky and Gordon is also a wonderful composer. Uh, wrote My Life with Albertine, uh, Dream True, an incredible writer. And uh, when I was younger, my grandfather, my papa Louis, passed away, uh, and that's you know in the, my cousin's family. Uh, my father's side, and he knew that I loved musical theater, so he called Randy Graff on the the phone, and um, I was obsessed with Les Mis at the time, and she talked to me on the phone and gave me her condolences, and and then uh, Ricky got on the phone and said, oh, what a great treat, Randy's going to sing for you. And I said, oh, my God, Randy Graff's going to sing for me. <laughs> and Randy Graff started singing I Dreamed a Dream, and I said, no, 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 I don't like that song. I like Castle in the Cloud. Um, I was, what, six or seven years old. <laughs> but I also had this envisionment of working with her. And so to be able to, uh, on the first CD, I got the opportunity of working with Liz Calloway, who was, you know, who I idolized, and Randy Graff, who I idolized. So I feel very blessed. Uh, other people on the CD, uh, Sutton Foster, you don't get better than her, Norm Lewis, uh, Megan Helty, who's going into 9 to 5 right now, um, uh, Titus Burgess, uh, Jen Colella, Lisa Brescia, uh, Marcus Paul James, Julia Murney, Natalie Weiss, the Monday Night's New Voices Choir, um, Carrie Ellis, who is an incredible, incredible vocalist uh, out in the UK and who recently played Alphaba. I think that's the song we're going to be playing, right? Mm -hmm. Behind the Walls. Behind these walls. Um, I'm missing people. I know I'm missing people, and I don't even know what I'm missing right now. Um, Hadley Frazier, who's incredible if you saw the Pirate Queen. Uh, he was incredible in that. I'm totally missing people. <laughs> 
there's good. other people. Oh, Kate Weatherhead. Uh, yeah. Well, like so the first Heidi Blickenstaff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll probably cut you off. We've had a few of those names on the show before, too. So yeah, they're amazing. Go, 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 go. Behind the Walls, the first song we're going to play. Is there anything you want to set up about this song? Behind These Walls was written... Um, it's, funny enough about that song is that it was, never gonna, it was never intended to make the CD. Ever. It was sort of a throwaway song. I, I played it. I was... <laughs> I'm I'm overly dramatic, and I was in a separation. Well, I mean, we, me and my boyfriend at the time uh, broke up, uh, but we later got back together because that's just how I do it. And um, we were separated, and I sat down and I wrote behind these walls. And uh, when we got back together, I played it for him. And you know, obviously, after a breakup, no one wants to hear that as their song. This is the first song that you write for them. And so he wasn't too happy with it, so I put it to the side and was never expecting to ever record it. But then when we broke up again, I sort of pulled <laughs> it back out. And, um, and I sent it over to uh, Carrie Ellis. And uh, funny enough with Carrie Ellis, the very funny story was that Carrie Ellis, there was a, a page on Facebook, Carrie Ellis, her, you know, individual, you know, uh, page. And I emailed her on there, and it was a stalker. Uh, that actually emailed me back and said, yes, this is Carrie, and I would love to sing the song in your CD, and, you know, get in touch with me this way. And, you know, we went back and forth until I figured out this is not actually the Carrie Ellis, so I totally embarrassed myself um, with this girl. And then she basically announced to the entire world before we even announced that Carrie was going to be doing the CD, that Carrie would be on the CD. So then we figured out exactly who it was. So, good story. Yeah. <laughs> So, this is Carrie Ellis, I guess, singing Behind These Walls. All right, let's take a listen. You chose to leave I wasn't gonna beg you to stay You made up your mind So why would I stand in your way You fell out of love When I should have been protecting my heart Now, nothing
saying one of the other reasons you did the first CD was because you weren't getting, you know, asked to do shows. Have you gotten any, have you gotten an agent yet out of this? Have you been, have you gotten the position to audition for composing for other shows? Yet? You know what's so funny is that I had an agent and I, I uh, over at a major agency and I just left the agency. I decided to, uh, I like doing things on my own. I mean, I'm, I have an incredible lawyer, Mark Sandroff, so I'm, I'm, and he sort of watches over everything, but I am, I am I'm really content with being my own business guy right now. So, um, and as I said, I I've never been one of those type of writers anyway who is looking for the flash. I write I write very um, personal stuff. Um, so any story that I'm going to tell is going to be a personal story piece I've been working on for six years. Uh, we had a very uh, big setback about a year ago that uh, legally I can't talk about, but right now um, we're we're moving forward again. Uh, with it, with a with a new book writer, I guess that's legally what I was mm -hmm. saying, but I won't really talk about more of that. Yeah. And um, and so you know, it's looking good, though I know what's about to happen with it. I'm not going to announce it until contracts are signed. Um, so everything is very promising, and hopefully, you know, people will be seeing that very, very, very soon. And uh, there's other stuff going on right now that. Uh, is also very exciting, but again, until contracts are signed, I think it would be done with me to announce it. So, I mean, yeah. so many of the big shows are, you know, that are like predestined, are like producer driven. I.e., the producer goes, "Oh, I want to do Legally Blonde the musical. Right. Let's take auditions in from, you know, you know." But I think that's also composers. shows that aren't um, original. Yeah, and yeah. I don't mean that as Legally Blonde, you know, has no originality. Yeah. I love Larry and. Uh, no, so that I did not mean that at all. I meant like, I peace came from my concept. The other two shows that I've been working on came from my concept. Everything. I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone else. I always have to feel like I have to like back myself up so people don't think I'm <laughs> well, no, this I, egotistical. I, you no, know, I don't mean I don't mean you to defend yourself there, but I'm saying a lot of these big shows are not, you know, driven by the creators themselves. No, it's and the you producers. Know, do you have any desire to get into that kind of field? Would you, are, are you wanting to be able to audition and write Shrek the musical? I think it would be dumb for me to say no. <laughs> um, you know, my favorite composer out there right now is Janine Tesori, and I mean, she's done the, the gamut of the map, you know, uh, from Violet to, you know, uh, um, Thoroughly Modern Millie to Carolina Change, now to Shrek. So um, I think I look at a composer like that and I just, I'm in awe, but I'm really not that kind of composer. You know, that's just not. Even though I can I can idolize her from afar, it, I don't idolize her in, in a way that I want to be her. Um, I idolize her because she she just writes incredible music. But I um, I don't know if that would ever. It would really take a special story. Um, there is a movie that I've I'm trying to develop, but I'm trying to develop it more into a ballet with music than the typical musical theater show. So it would take a, a special story. 
Um, and even this movie was such a flop, and not a flop in like a cult following way, like a flop, um, but beautifully, beautifully done. Um, I just think the story would work beautifully as an opera, a ballet opera. So um, we're working on that right now. So we'll see if that comes about. But um, again, that's also from my idea. I don't know. I I would have to resonate with it. You know, it, it would really have to hit me. If it was a if it was a movie that I felt uh, passionate about, then then yeah. But for the most part, I I like to write. I like to start a character. I like to write my own character. Often, so well, we'll probably continue that a little that that discussion a little bit more. But yeah. you know, let's play another song from the new CD, Keys. Perfect. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, we're going to be playing uh, "The Distance You Have Come," and it's sung by Natalie Weiss. And Natalie Weiss was um, an unknown uh, over a year ago, and uh, I did a concert at Birdland uh, January seventh, I think it was. And uh, Ian Espinosa was supposed to be attending and singing the song off of Jimmy Wine Away called I'm a Star. And Natalie um, had emailed me uh, while I had the flu two weeks prior and said, I'm a big fan and uh, I would love to work with you someday and hear some videos of me singing. And please, you know, if we could ever work together. And, and so the, the day of the concert, Eden called and she was sick and she couldn't do it. And so I... I, I, I asked everyone, who should I get? Because I needed to have I'm a Star. It's like my number one song from the, that CD. Um, and so I, I kept asking everyone, who should I get? Who should I get? And everyone was giving me huge names. And I even got in touch with like two or three big names that said, oh, yeah, I'll definitely do it. I'll do it. And then I thought, no, no, no. Oh, actually, I didn't get in touch with them. Um, my musical director and producer got in touch with them. And when they came back to me and said, this person will do it, I said, no, I don't want that person to do it. it I, I want, if, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's actually discover a star. And um, I fell on uh, Natalie. I remembered her, and I, uh, she had left her phone number, and I called her. No, she didn't leave her phone number. I started asking around everyone, does anyone have Natalie Weiss's phone number? Why? Why? Why do you want this? And everyone that I told the story to was like, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're going to just take a chance on a, on a girl that no one knows that just graduated, doesn't even live in the city right now. And I was like, yep, I'm going to take a chance. And so I called her. I was like, uh, Natalie, uh, this is going to be pretty random. This is Scott Allen. And I gave her the situation. And she was at work. I think she was waitering or something. And she texted me back like two seconds later. And she's like, I'm flipping out. I'm flipping out. Yes, yes, yes. I'm doing it. I know the song. Yes. And so that's basically how she came about. So to put her on the CD was important. Um, and to have her incorporated with the Monday Night's New Voices Choir, which is a series I've been running in the city for five years. I know we talked about it on last podcast um, that I've been running uh, that celebrates up-and-coming talent that haven't uh, been on Broadway yet um, was very important. And I think the, the song itself is exactly, it represents exactly who Natalie is. And it represents, during that, that hard time, the legal time that I was talking about during Peace, I wrote the song about never giving up on your life and, you know, never, because I, I, I was very depressed during that time. I didn't actually want to write it anymore. I sort of wanted to walk away from it all. Um, and I decided not to. And so I, I, I wrote the song about how far one comes in their life. And, and when you actually are at that place, don't forget the, those moments where you are struggling so much. Um, and so it sort of reminded me to look back on my life and say, you know, I've come really far in five years since I've been in New York, and I've worked really hard for this, and don't forget the distance, so. All right, well, let's take a listen. Fabulous. I don't know 
where tomorrow finds me The only thing I know is where I'm standing now In this life there's never been a guarantee Which seems to be the only guarantee i found But keep your eyes upon the road Keep driving It won't be long until you see A sign that says that you're arriving And when you reach that day When you've conquered what's behind you Don't forget the fight it took to get you here And when you reach the top Of the mountain you've been climbing Don't forget the distance You have Tells you if you're winning But just remind yourself How far that you've already come And some days you may feel That there is no ending But if you give up now You'll never know If you could have won so keep your eyes on the road Keep driving It won't be long until you see A sign that says Before we started, uh, you know, getting on the Natalie Weiss story, you're, you're saying how you like to create a character from scratch, right. and I was kind of curious because your songs are kind of like sit halfway between like the pop spectrum and the musical theater spectrum. Right. I, mean, I know you said you view the first album as uh, a pop album, yeah. 
And, and you know, the truth is, I don't. Oh. I don't view it as straight theater. I, I viewed it as a good kind of contemporary. I say it's pop in the sense of the songs stand on their own, and I don't right. always think there's enough of. I mean, back in the 30s. We, you know, I, we talked about this on the last yeah. podcast about that's exactly what. I mean, Cole Porter yeah. and, and Gershwin, and I mean, they all, all their songs were on the radio. You know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with the contemporary composers writing in a pop formula and having their songs on the radio. I mean... But I still, no question, call you a theater composer. Okay. Definite pop influence. I mean, I I do too. Contemporary. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. The... the, I call it the fan base. Again, I, I don't want it to be sounding like egotistical. <laughs> the fan base. Um, definitely agree. I, I, I consider myself a, um, a pop theater writer because that's what contemporary writers sort of are right now. Um, but a lot of people in the industry think that I write way too pop. And you know what? That's okay. <laughs> I write what I write. I, 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 I don't... But how, how do you approach your writing for the... I mean, how many of these songs do you write for? I'm just writing a single song, you know? Well, I mean, for, writing for piece has been uh, incredible because I, I get to write for characters. And with my new, new book writer, it's... I've been exploring so much characterization. I mean, so many of the songs that were in piece have all been cut. Uh, I think there's only, like, three songs that remain that people will know, which is Never Never Land Home and The Dress, which is on the new CD CD that Randy Graff sings. Um, But there's been so many new songs that have been written for it. But as far as, like, songs that are on Dreaming Wide Awake and uh, Keys, I just write—I call them journal songs because I I just write from my heart. I'll sit down at the piano, and I just write whatever comes out. I don't—usually it doesn't take me a long time to write a song just because I'm in that moment. And so usually I'll tape myself, I'll sit down on the piano and I'll just start writing a song and uh, recording it. And whatever the lyrics are, I'll write down the lyrics. And then um, I'll play them back and write down all the lyrics after that. And um, usually with minor changes in a weird way, even though this rhyme scheme might not be perfectly on. because I also call myself uh, a self, I have, I'm an accent now, <laughs> uh, self uh, fake rhymer, because I don't really do the real, you know, blue, two, shoe, you know, I don't, that's not how I rhyme, um, which is a good thing. Um, and so I call myself a fake rhymer, so a lot of my, my rhymes are very fake because they're just coming off the tip of my tongue, and I'm just sort of not even in that moment. It's so funny, too, because you know who else writes like that a lot is Tori Amos, who I was a huge fan of growing up. I still am, but I mean, her older stuff was sort of uh, just brilliant. Um, and she does that uh, when she writes. Uh, she just has a tape recorder and whatever comes out, that's it. Um, her stuff is a little harder to understand sometimes, but uh, um, yeah, that's sort of how I write. The, the kind of the last thing I want to talk about is with this great collection of names you got on, right. what was your process of figuring out who you wanted to sing the songs and getting in touch with them, and how, how long did that take you, and how did you specifically approach them? Well, the first CD was, was easy, because with the exception of three of the performers, or I'm trying to think, I think only one performer on the first CD that I had never worked with before, which I, was Josh Strickland. I had worked with every, all the other performers, and all the other performers had been singing those songs. Uh, I mean, I wrote "I'm a Star" and I sent it over to Eden, um, but I knew Eden well, so you know. And she flew in from doing "Wicked" out in LA, and um, but as far as like "Never Neverland," uh, Stephanie had been singing that for five years, and Shoshana had been singing "Home." for five years, and Cheyenne had been singing Surrender for five years, and so, you know, 
and Liz Calloway have been singing Goodnight for a while, and, you know, a lot of those songs were very easily set up. Now, on this new CD, I, I, knew, I knew Lisa Brescia, as far as personal. I knew, like, Lisa Brescia, I knew Natalie for, the, you know, for one year. Um, most of the performers, Kate Weatherhead, I knew. Um, I didn't really know any of the other performers. Um, and what I did was I sent out... Um, emails to all of them, and um, I let them pick their songs. You know, I said... How fleshed out were the demos you let them hear? Pretty fleshed out. Uh, I think with the exception of one song, everything was really fleshed out. And that song was Hallie Fraser's song, and I remember I sent it to him, and he was so smart because there was no bridge at the time. There's uh, this this bridge. I'm trying to remember how it goes uh, because we have the piano. Um, um, I'm not even going to play it. There's um, this bridge, and there wasn't at the time. And he wrote me back. He said, I love the song. I'll definitely do it. You need a bridge. And it was, he's like, don't, don't hate me for saying that. If you don't want to put one in, I'll definitely still do it. I was like, no, what do you think it needs to be saying as the artist? What do you think needs to be said? Because I don't know what else needs to be said. He said, I want to hear him sort of be sarcastic. I want to hear, and that's why there's the, the, the very last uh, line of it is, um, leave him a note. I'm sure he'll understand. It's about leaving your husband, at, uh, your fiancé at the altar to come home with your ex-husband. Um, and, uh, but with the exception of all the other songs, they were definitely all fleshed out. And, uh, but I, I mean, had you, had you already gone into the studio beforehand? or? Oh, no, there was no... I mean, my demos were me sitting at my keyboard and, you know, putting them out in GarageBand and mp 3 them over to people. Um, but I gave everyone options. I mean, I gave Sutton Foster a few options, and she, she picked on always. And Sutton Foster actually... Um, she was getting ready to go to Seattle. We held the CD for three months. We were done with it. Uh, which was a good thing because uh, Julia Murney also recorded another song that we ended up cutting. Um, and then I wrote Julia a new song called West um, that we ended up redoing uh, like a week prior to going in with Sudden. But we had been finished with the CD and I waited for Sudden to get back from Shrek to, you know, do the CD uh, to, f- to finish everything. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I gave everyone uh, options. Um, because Did you get anybody all fighting over the same song when you said You know what? The funny part is that I have so many songs in my book that I don't think I sent anyone more than... I, I, I think I sent, like... If I'm going to send Sutton Foster three songs, I'm going to send her three songs that, you know, Julia Murney couldn't sing, you know, that Lisa Brescia is not going to be able to sing. And I'm going to do the same thing for Julia and Lisa. I'm going to send Lisa three songs that I couldn't hear Julia or, or Sutton singing. So I picked... I gave everyone two or three s- selections, and they each picked their songs. And, um, you know, that's sort of like the first CD. There's definitely songs that were supposed to, that were going to be on the first CD that never made it onto the first CD, and they ended up making it onto the second CD uh, because people picked them. So that's sort of how they happen. There's definitely more songs now. I definitely have enough songs to do another CD if I wanted to. I'm not mm-hmm. uh, doing another CD right now. But I, I'm doing the re-release of Keys uh, with uh, two brand-new songs. But... Um, and karaoke tracks, but as far as you're doing the major label thing, oh, brand new deluxe edition. Tunes. You know it's so funny. I'm trying to. <laughs> the first CD was easy because it was called Dreaming Wide Awake, so I was able to do still dot 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 Dreaming Wide Awake. And I'm trying to figure. And this this CD is called Keys, and I'm like, what do I? Something spare keys, door keys. That was one thing. In the reissue, you put a lot of the karaoke. 
do you call them karaoke? Yeah, we call it backing track. You know, but the the kids like to call it the karaoke tracks. Yeah, we're doing that again. We're going to be doing four songs. I. I, I know three of them for sure. We're going to definitely be, be putting, uh, and there it is on there, behind these walls in the distance you have come. Um, we're debating on doing two more. Maybe uh, We have to put a guy song on there, so we might put um, Hadley Frazier's again on there, and we might possibly put on Blessing, but we're, we're thinking about it right now. So. All right, yeah. and finally, how does it feel to uh, now be unemployed? <laughs> I'm employed. That's the good yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> You know what? It's. <laughs> I think that's everyone's dream, and the the weird part is I sort of miss it. I sort of miss being a bartender at times. I miss the interaction that I have with people. But at the same time, I mean, let, let's be realistic. If I went back, I'd be done with it in a night. Um, it was. I. This is the weird part: is that I, the night that I left, um, I gave it my two weeks, and then the next week I came in and I said to my owner because uh, I was bartending over at Stonewall. I can actually now say where I was bartending. Mm-hmm. I was being so secretive before. I was working at Stonewall, the famous Stonewall in um, uh, 53 Christopher Street. Um, and I, the next week I came in, I was just so tired. I had so much stuff to do for peace. And I said, can, I, can this be my last night? And he said, yeah, tonight could be your last night if you want. We have someone else that could fill in for you next week. And I said... All right, this is amazing. And I remember uh, I went upstairs and I gave him a hug and I gave everyone a hug. I mean, you know, I worked from 9 until 6.30 in the morning. You know, we, we were done, you know, 4, and then after we were done closing and cleaning and all that good stuff, I didn't get home until, like, 6.30. Um, but I, I remember walking upstairs, giving everyone a hug, and he told me not to go out the front door, just go out the back door uh, so I can close up easier. And I started crying. I started tearing up because it's been... Listen, when I lived in Los Angeles, I, were, I worked three jobs at one time just so I could put up my first musical detour. I worked Starbucks uh, from 4.30 in the morning until 7.30. Uh, I would then uh, go to Basics Cafe on Santa Monica Boulevard until 5.30. And then I would start work at Wolfgang Pucks at 6 until 2 o'clock in the morning. i get home for an hour and i go do it all again. I did it every single day for about three months. Um, and it was only so I could raise enough money so I could put on my first musical. And that was only supposed to be for a weekend, and luckily it you know, ran longer. But, um, you know, I think... I'm not saying that I pay my dues any more than anyone else has. I've worked really hard. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> and, um, but I love what I do. I love this industry. I love the family that's been created in this industry. Um, and, you know, I love that there are definitely people in this industry that become very bitter... Um, I watch it all the time, sort of get to a point in their lives and their careers where they're not thankful for how far they've come or what they're doing anymore. You know, a lot of shows stay, uh, performers stay in Broadway shows for two years and they're just half-assing it. And um, I'm, I'm proud that I'm not bitter. I'm proud that I'm at this place in my life where I'm, I'm, I can't wait for tomorrow. I'm excited for what tomorrow offers me. And uh, it's nice to be able to um, just be that for now. You know, I, I, it's nice to, to not have, when people ask me, what do you do? I can say I'm a composer. So I think uh, I, I'm very proud. So. All right, well, Keys is available everywhere now. Yes, yeah, CD uh, Baby and uh, iTunes and Dress Circle and, and the West End in London. And, and your own website is scottallen.net? You got it. A-L-A-N, for those who <laughs> don't know. Don't go to jasonrobertbrown.com. I mean, you could go there, but not to <laughs> find my CDs. I don't think he sells them there, you know? Maybe he does. I don't know. I haven't checked lately. 
All right. Well, thanks for popping Thank down you, and, and sharing your story, Thank and good you. luck with everything else. Thank you. You too. The Producer's Perspective. Hi, everybody. It's Ken Davenport with theproducersperspective.com. Last time we talked about the top 10 biggest grossing films of 08. And as promised, here's the follow-up. And we're going to talk about any trends that we see in the top five grossing shows of all time. If you remember, in the films, we found some very interesting trends. Uh, One, all of the top 10 were fantasies. Two, they all had central male characters. And three... All of those male characters possess superhuman abilities or weren't even human. Some very interesting trends in films. Well, the question is, do shows have similar trends? So the first thing we did was looked at the top five grossing shows of last year. Since the film industry produces so much product, I thought it best to look at five instead of ten. And one interesting side note, there isn't an off-Broadway in film. Everything gets lumped together, unlike our industry. Again, ironic, considering how much more product is produced in the film industry than ours. Okay, back to the list. Now, before I name the top five grocers, can you guess what they are? I'll give you a moment to get them in your head. Ready? Okay. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Wicked leads the way at number one. Number two, The Lion King. Number three, Jersey Boys. Number four, The Little Mermaid. And number five, Mamma Mia. So think about those again. Wicked, Lion King, Jersey Boys, Little Mermaid, and Mamma Mia. Do you see any similar trends? Well, they're not as strong as the film industry, but there's certainly something there. Three of the five are the same big-budget, fantasy-style shows that film audiences love as well. Wicked, Lion King, and Little Mermaid. Interestingly enough, two of those are Disney shows, and the other two of the five are jukebox musicals. One thing that they all have in common is that all of these top five shows are based on pre-existing material, either a book, a movie, or a songbook. Now, out of curiosity, I looked at the second set of five. Here's where things started to mix up a bit. Number six, Mary Poppins, Disney again. Number seven, the fantasy-styled Phantom of the Opera. Number eight, South Pacific. Number nine, In the Heights. Number 10, Spamalot. So again, things start to get a little different when you get down between number six and 10. Or do they? Once again, all of these shows, from one through 10, are based on pre-existing material, except for one, In the Heights. This is something we're going to talk about next week, whether or not there's a place for a totally original new musical on Broadway based on the data over the last 10 to 20 years. And until then, I'm Ken Davenport with theproducersperspective.com. Well, Sutton Foster just released her debut solo CD on Ghost Light Records, and we thought we'd treat you to one of the songs from the CD. This song is called My Heart Was Set On You, and it's written by Jeff Blumenkrantz. My mother told me to break up with you. She didn't think that you were good enough to take this prize. She didn't see any sparkle in your eyes. She said you acted like a boy. And you wore too much corduroy But my heart was set on you My heart was set on you Besides, her taste was lousy She's never had a clue And my heart was set on you My room 
roommate begged me not to be with you. She couldn't stand the way you always left some toothpaste in the sink. She was amazed at your capacity not to think. She said your head was in a cloud and you talked way too loud. But my heart was set on you. My heart was set on you. I figured she was jealous that I'd found someone new. And my heart was set on you. It's a gamble. said I shouldn't play the bride to your groom. I got her message loud and clear, then shoved it out the other ear. Cause my heart was set on you. My heart was set on you. Why would I believe a bunch of tarot cards were true? When my heart was set on you It was terrible to face them When it all fell apart When I was the last to know Yet there they were to catch the pieces Of my breaking heart With the grace not to say I told you so to see you after all this time I'm reminded of the clarity I had back then Will I ever trust that feeling again? I was so willing to fall But it's nice to recall Sutton Foster's Wish CD is made up of old and new songs from both the theater and pop canon and is available now on Ghostlight Records at shikaboom.com or through iTunes, Amazon, etc. Pick it up now. 
top of the trades. Matthew Warchus is set to direct a musical version of the Academy Award-winning film Ghost, scheduled to open in the West End in 2010. Music and lyrics are by Grammy Award-winning Dave Stewart and Glenn Ballard. Oscar-winning Bruce Joel Rubin will adapt his original screenplay for the stage and write lyrics, set and costume designs are by Rob Howell, and the music supervisors will be Christopher Nightingale and Tessie Gole. Further information about this production will be announced at a later date. Whisper House, the new musical from Tony and Grammy-winning Spring Awakening composer Duncan Cheek, may debut at the Old Globe in San Diego in early 2010. In an interview with Newsday, Cheek said that the World War II-era musical, co-authored with Kyle Jarrow, is aiming for a January 2010 bow at the Old Globe. The 2009-2010 season at the Globe has not yet been announced. Set in a lighthouse on a remote New England coast, Whisper House follows the life of a grief-stricken young boy who loses his father in World War II and is sent by his mother to live with his spinster aunt. The boy's longings come to musical life as seen through the eyes of the ghosts who inhabit the lighthouse. Sheik's solo album of songs from the musical, also entitled Whisper House, was released from RCA Victor in January. A stage musical version of The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the 1994 Australian film about a trio of drag queens who take their show to the middle of the outback aboard a battered old bus nicknamed Priscilla, arrived at London's Palace Theatre March 10th, prior to a press night on March 23rd and a gala night on March 24th. Entitled Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical, <laughs> could you have guessed that? The stage work is co-written by Stephen Elliott, who wrote and directed the original film, and Alan Scott, directed by Simon Phillips, and features costume designs by Tim Chappelle and Lizzie Gardner, who won the 1995 Academy Award for Best Costume Design for their work on the film. Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up this episode, Volume 308, for March 12th, 2009. And just a little note, while it was fun trying to go back to weekly, I, I forgot just how much of a time-consuming thing that really is. It really is much easier for me to do longer episodes twice a month. So we're going to go back to twice a month. Every second and fourth Thursday of the month will be the new episodes. So the next episode will be out March 26th. Uh, again, we'll be still covering lots of great stuff, like, like we did last year. Uh, it'll just be twice a month instead of every week. But thank you so much for uh, listening through this. And again, we'll be announcing when we're going to be doing some more live shows later on. And join us again on March 26th. We're going to have a lot of great stuff for you, I'm sure. Once again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and you've been listening to Broadway Bullet. The hair's on the back of my neck. We starved, so should an audition come up? We are so ready and raring. So Jake Kowski says my name and I'm in the can. Actually, the bar fade thing comes from my whole life. People just with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. 
I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.